You are listening in on Leap. Today's episode features Leap Forward's Director of Speech and Language Pathology, Tyler Schote, and Developmental Therapist, Amanda DeAngelis. Today, we're starting the conversation about literacy. I think it is a hot topic, and I think it's been a hot topic for years, like decades, you know, Mm -hmm. because reading is so important. Reading is kind of the one thing that our kids need to be able to do to get through school, right? Mm -hmm. It's like you need to be able to read to go to science class. You need to be able to read to go to math class. It's important all across the board for decades and decades and decades. It's been kind of one of the number one kind of indicators of success, academic success. um, Life success. Life success, (laughs) right? And the... It's super important to being a productive citizen. So I think there's so much that rides on literacy. Mm -hmm. There's so much that um, comes with us being able to read and write that makes it really just kind of people get really invested in it mm -hmm. and really worried about it, honestly. And I've, you know, I've taught in Chicago Public Schools. I've been at LEAP for a long, long time and taught at different levels as well. And no matter where the age of the kid or capacity of the kid, where I'm going to start with literacy is creating healthy habits and good habits towards reading and positive approaches towards reading. So Mm -hmm. I'm always cautioned that it's not a battle or a punishment, like to have to read a book, you know? So if you're starting with interest or picture books, I think that's a great place to start. Even letting the kid choose where they want to read or, you know, your choice, your choice, my choice kind of thing to start to. And, um, again, creating those habits first and before looking at the nitty-gritty you know Mm -hmm. and there's so much built in before you're getting get to that fluency of reading that will pop up later in the school years too yeah yeah there's i I mean kids as early as pre pre preschool and kindergarten are their ears are already tuned for how big of a deal this whole reading thing is right kids are already like oh man that kid knows how to read better than me um, wow. He's yeah. Oh my gosh! Wouldn't you mm-hmm. say, Amanda? You yeah. taught and you've taught in some mm-hmm. preschool and kindergarten classrooms, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And that was a big topic too. Like later in in for, when I taught <clears> in first grade, everyone had their just right books for them. But your just right book might be different than someone else's, you know. And it's like, well, why can't I read that book yet? And that might be an instructional text that you'll use with a teacher or something that teachers working on scaffolding with you. But you know, everyone is reading at different levels. And mm-hmm. for me though too, entirely, I feel like this is going to segue us into our whole literacy idea it's reading is more than just decoding to me and I caution that we're not just getting lost in the letter sounds and sounding out words but having comprehension around it having wondering around it wonder like understanding what a title of the book is understanding who the author of the book is um knowing that the words carry meaning Mm -hmm. so yes the word t-h-e is the but where do we see that in the print the concept Mm -hmm. of print yeah um and when we start to kind of introduce this sort of like hierarchy and reading skills within a classroom I think inherently with that we're introducing stress into that system too so Mm -hmm. we're starting to kids are starting to recognize oh I read differently than this other boy in my class one of my professors in graduate school used to always joke about the very real issue of leveling reading Mm -hmm. issues in classrooms and having reading groups that are reading at different levels, which is a real challenge because you want to be able to challenge kids who are ready to read at high levels, but you also want to be able to support kids who are reading at lower levels. But I think some classrooms um, 
way to kind of approach that concept is by introducing this idea of you know leveled reading yeah. groups mm-hmm. and my one of my professors used to always joke that there were like you know the eagle readers the hawk readers and the vulture readers <laughs> <laughs> and kids are very attuned to the fact that they're a vulture reader and mm-hmm. that that means yeah. a lot mm-hmm. to you know a competent first grader Definitely. who realizes that he's not an eagle you know mm-hmm. Um, and that's a it's a tough pill to swallow at, at a very young age. And and if we're not careful around that issue, I think we can really lay in some really negative attitudes towards learning and mm-hmm. school and reading in general. Um, and that's a really that can be a really tough battle down the road. Can you explore a bit more? You had mentioned the concept of decoding versus mm-hmm. um Reading. Reading. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that is something mm-hmm. that for me, just when you said that, I was like, I want I want sure. you to expand on that. So if I picked up a book that was written in Italian, that's like, because I do have a background a little bit of Italian, I could decode all of the words. I know the sounds that all the letters make. I could read the sentence. It might be choppy. It might not be very fluent, but I could read it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some kids might be able to read the words on the page, but if you stop then and ask a comprehension question or inferencing questions like I wonder I wonder what's going to happen next or wait why did that character do that they don't know mm-hmm. um so decoding is reading the word but not understand necessarily understanding what that word is telling you mm-hmm. um so that goes back to the idea too that the concept of print carries meaning so the letters in a word blend together to form a word that word carries meaning mm-hmm. um so you know when we th- when I think about this as a a language focused professional, you know, I'm a speech language pathologist. And so I'm kind of tackling the, the idea of literacy from a linguistic perspective. I think about reading and language as kind of they're the same thing. Literacy is language. And I want to approach all of the problems with literacy in the same way that I approach all of the problems with language. The only difference between literacy and language is that literacy has this extra print thing this extra it's language coded onto the page with letters Mm -hmm. right um so that's the only thing that really kind of pulls the two apart so in every other time i think about literacy i kind of want to approach it the same way that i would approach language development or language differences Mm -hmm. um and so, so we have to be really kind of interested in print and what's written on the page when we attack the whole literacy challenge, but keeping in mind the fact that um, it's really a language-based process. And so when we talk about the print and how it's coded onto the page with letters, that's what we mean when we say decoding. Mm-hmm. We're just um, making sense, are uh, really just kind of breaking the code on, so just reading the words aloud that are on the page is all that it takes to decode something. Saying those words out loud mm-hmm. is all that it takes to decode something. But that doesn't necessarily correlate with understanding what's going on on that page. Got it. So, and, sorry. No, go ahead. So feeding into that and just thinking about sort of the hierarchy that I would approach literacy, like Tyler was just talking about, you know, the language piece of it. And going back to even before we're, like, reading independently with kids or, you know, in schools, there's so many elements that go into helping with that foundational stuff. So sequencing mm-hmm. steps in play, storytelling, play, play in general, like these are all precursors. Understanding to, uh, repetition. Under- repetition, rhythm, pace, 
Um, those are all really great precursors to then support later literacy skills, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of using familiar nursery rhymes, um, fairy tales, things like that, mm-hmm. and repetition as well. Um, because kids will learn then, like, the conventions of reading and writing, so how to open a book, how to read. They'll start to memorize it themselves, and then we'll work on that shift from using strategies like looking at the pictures to understand meaning to, like, shifting using then the letters to decode meaning. Um, went, back, went back to my word. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, there's definitely a hierarchy, you know, and mm-hmm. there might you might see some refusal from kids in, in between there too, where it's like, I know that the I don't know how to read these words. So it's just from pretend imaginary reading to like, hmm, this is hard, I don't want to do it, to then supporting the child to be able to be able to become a more independent reader. Mm-hmm. Kind of went mm-hmm. off on a t- tangent there. No, no, no. I, I think a ton of that stuff just really plays into this whole question though because you know at leap we're just really interested in in working from a really developmental perspective so we're interested in the way that all of these processes kind of start from the very beginning and what we know is that reading does start from the very beginning mm-hmm. their kids don't go into kindergarten and just learn how to you know sound out words there's a million and a half interactions yeah. that that child has had with their caregivers from day one mm-hmm. that kind of set up set that child up to be a reader. Um, and what we know from the research is that kids who are read to from a really early age are better readers in high school, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, we see those kinds of numbers ac- across the literature. Um, but beyond just being read to, there are a million other kind of foundational activities and skills and games and things that parents are doing with their kids that set them up to be good readers. So like Amanda mentioned, this idea of like the whole nursery rhyme thing. Kids know row, row, row your boat way before they're able to read a book called row, row, row your boat. Um, and so when they, when a mom gives or a kindergarten teacher gives that child a, the book, row, row, row your boat, he's already bringing to that process having a whole bunch of knowledge about Mm -hmm. that song Mm -hmm. and the only pieces he has to plug in is the print is the extra stuff Mm -hmm. the the fact that it's a book it has a cover it has an author um knowing which way to orient the page looking at the pictures but he already knows row 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 your boat and it's going to go down that stream and it's going to be merry (laughs) previously you had mentioned the four like pillars kind of of literacy to me and i would love if you would expand a little bit of that are you talking about the queuing systems? Yes. Yeah. Because um, I thought that was so interesting and mm-hmm. kind of was a really clear picture of like putting all of those pieces together. Sure. Yeah. Um, it it gets to be a little heady, a little theoretical, but right. um, I think it is something that really does kind of pull the pieces together and mm-hmm. helps us to understand things. At least it helps us to understand things from a meaning-based perspective, mm-hmm. which is where Amanda and I... Mm -hmm. how Amanda and I approach literacy and literacy challenges. So we definitely are coming from a place where we're thinking about literacy as a language-based process. And inherently, language is a meaning-based process. That's what language has to do with. Um, The whole process of of language is creating meaning, understanding meaning, and sharing meaning with in the world. Um, that's what language is. Mm-hmm. And so if we're going to approach literacy from a language-based place, then we have to be interested in meaning. Um, and so what I had talked to you about, Ashley, was um, the idea of the four que- linguistic cueing systems that we use to create meaning while we're reading. Um, and so the one thing to remember is that all four of these systems 
the goal of the systems is to create meaning around the text, meaning around the print and what's going on in the book. So three of those four queuing systems are real, true linguistic concepts. They're things that we call form, content, and use. We also call them syntax, semantics, and pragmatics in that same order. And those are kind of the the basic constituents of language. So when we talk about um, content or semantics, we're talking about kind of word meanings and word and con- conceptual knowledge and understanding of what things are in this world. So when I say the word clock, are you uh, striking up an image of a thing that ticks and tells time and that people reference to know when it's lunchtime? Um, it's on the wall. It's got numbers. It's white. It might have black arms that move around. Do you know what a clock is and what it does? Um, that's the idea of kind of, of semantics and uh, semantics and our ideas around what objects and things are cue us to understand what those words are when we read them. That's the, the semantic cueing system. The, another cueing system is the, the form system. So that's the syntax system. The syntax is kind of the rule. It's kind of like grammar mm-hmm. rules. Yeah. So the way that the sentence structure, yeah, the way that grammar kinds of, kind of informs us um, on how we might hear language be organized in our world and that's definitely ruled for most of us uh, for a lot of us in English right so there are grammar rules about the way that English is kind of organized together so when a child reads is reading from Pete the cat and it and we read oh no Pete stepped in a large pile of that we all know as competent readers that the next word we're going to hear is not jumping Mm-hmm. Because there, a verb can't come there next. It just would not work in English. We know that it has to be some kind of noun. Mm-hmm. It has to be something that Pete can step into. So that's kind of the, the syntax um, system. That's how that one works. Uh, the pragmatic system or the, the use system, I, I like the word pragmatics a little bit better when we're talking about reading. But um, that system is talking about all of kind of the experiential knowledge and background knowledge that a child or a reader is bringing into the reading process. So if we're reading a book called Mommy and Billy Go to the Grocery Store, um, before we even open up page one, we're already starting to cue in our minds things like produce, meat, checkout counter, Mm -hmm. cashier, money. Uh, Those are all things that we're starting to kind of brew in our own minds before we even engage the reading process. So those all might be words that we might see. So that's that's another one of those really linguistic-based processes. And then the the last cueing system in the four is called the graphophonemic system. That's really the sound letter relationship system, which really has to deal with the print. So when we think about literacy being a language plus print system, language and a code, that's how these systems work. There's three of them that are really linguistically based and one that is more um, print based, graphophonemic. It's letters and sounds and alphabetics. Uh, And so that system lets us know that when Pete stepped in a large pile of BL, you berries uh it's probably not strawberries because mm-hmm. i saw a b sound and that sounds like buh, 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 more like blueberries than sh- sh- strawberries mm-hmm. um so all of those systems together really kind of work all at once to make sure that reading happens and the researcher the goodmans kenanetta goodman who who wrote about 
the the queuing systems. Actually, Amanda and I got a chance to meet the Goodmans mm-hmm. over the summer. It was really awesome. Those folks talk about how it's really important that all four of these queuing systems be used all together at once mm-hmm. in order to make reading happen. And and that really comes from kind of a systems way of thinking that we need to engage all parts of the process, all the kind of components at one time to make sure that we're getting the most meaning that we can. And when we're doing that, we're kind of just guessing at what's happening on the page. Mm -hmm. But if you can use all four queuing systems at once, then you're going to make the best guesses possible, Mm -hmm. the most um, likely guesses that kind of correlate with what the author was intending to put down on the page. Um, But if we kind of prioritize only one of those queuing systems or a handful of those systems and not all, we might end up making less informed guesses. So for example, let's take that same... um, you know, snippet from the Pete the Cat book. So uh, it says, oh no, Pete stepped in a large pile of blueberries. That's what it's, that's what the author wrote on the page. Um, so when, when we look at a reader who is focused solely on the graphophonemics, you know, only on the sound letter relationships and is failing to incorporate all the linguistic based parts of the, of the message, he might read something like, um, oh no, Pete stepped in a large pile of blankets because he saw the BL, right? Mm-hmm. And thought like, oh, I know what those sounds sound like. They sound like BL. So I'm just going to take a guess based on graphophonemics and guess blankets. Mm-hmm. Um, but a child who has read this book before or saw that Pete stepped in strawberries before he stepped in blueberries or a kid who's not looking at the pictures, mm-hmm. um, that might be a child who might guess blankets because he's solely kind of using one queuing system to make the guess. Um, but if we engage more of the queuing systems at once, yeah. then we're more likely to make more accurate guesses. Is that making sense? Mm-hmm. I think it, it <laughs> makes perfect sense. Like I think it, that putting all of those, which is why I wanted to expand on it, because yeah. I think it's, it's a very clear picture. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm hoping Amanda could expand a little bit on putting some of that into practice within like different school systems. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. You've, yeah. you've been within a couple of different contexts. A couple of different yeah. contexts, yeah. Mm-hmm. And individual versus group time and all mm-hmm. that stuff too. Um, yeah, I was kind of listening to Tyler and taking down some ideas as well. And one thing I like to do when I start a book is point out the cover page, talk about what we might think the story is going to be about, and then do a picture walk. Um, a professor used that term of mine, and we're just walking through and we're looking at the pictures if it is a picture story and getting an idea of familiarity of what words then might be popping up. Um, if there's any vocabulary to look at, we kind of introduce that in a, in a more natural way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then using all of those contexts, using, you know, the pictures for clues, using the words for clues. Um, I like to point out a repetition. So if there's a word that keeps popping up, you know, yesterday is always going to be read yesterday. We sounded it out. We figured it out once. Now we know that that word's always going to be that word. Mm-hmm. Um, as Tyler kind of alluded to as well, English is particularly tricky because I think only 40% of words are spelled phonetically. <laughs> so there's going to be those words where kids are sounding it out and, you're sounding out exactly as you know with your letters, but that's not the word. <laughs> um, I wish I could think of one off the top of my head. But mm-hmm. um, then just recognizing, you know, okay, that's a tricky word. It's always going to be that. And pairing that, too, with the pictures and the context and knowing what we know um, to figure out the meaning. And something I do with my older kids is when I'm working on more independent reading and comprehension is when we come to something we don't know, does it look right? Does it sound right? And does it make sense? So if we're 
using a strategy to figure out the meaning on a page, we're going back and checking and then asking them not to read again, but like, what do we know so far Mm -hmm. and seeing if we could retell it. Mm -hmm. And I often would use like a guiding discussion question. So when we're reading the book, we're thinking about this one particular question throughout the book, you know, Mm. we could look at the three little pigs and say, like, I wonder, I wonder why the pigs left home or, Mm -hmm. you know, just come up with kind of a question for discussion and then keeping that discussion going. Again, that goes back to like making the book meaningful and kids as constructive components of their learning and all that good stuff that makes reading fun and bringing reading to life. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think techniques like that, things that Amanda's talking about, they like, for example, the, the picture walk technique. I really love that strategy because one thing that it does, it it primes the pump for what we're going to need to do when we actually engage the reading process. Mm-hmm. So what she's doing is saying, like, don't forget, you need all these meaningful bits mm-hmm. to make I'm sense sorry, of the book. I'm sorry, you explain the picture walk again. The picture walk just means you're going to, like, open a book and say, let's, let's go back to row, row, row your boat. Um, just because I read it a lot. <laughs> so we know it's about a boat. We know that there's going to be, you know, bears on the boat in this one particular version of it. And they're going to go through it. And then the rain comes, like, oh, no, it looks like it's raining. Nope, now we see the boat rocking. And okay, now here we see the sun, and... and so she's just like not actually going, reading the words. Reading. So she's she's going you through ignore the, the words pictures. and just walk through all and the pictures some, first. It might be a strategy that I don't say anything, depending on what I feel the engagement level is and what my goal is, and we're just going to silently look at the pictures for you know 10 seconds and, a page. And whatever. so by definition, what Amanda's doing can't be reading because she's not using the print. Mm-hmm. She's only using the pictures, right? And so if reading is kind of making sense of the print and using that graphophonemic cueing system, mm-hmm. then what Amanda's doing in that technique is not reading what she's doing is priming the pump for when they actually do read it it. so she's like reminding the kids to use all the other linguistic parts of the cueing process Mm -hmm. to make sure that they do that again later so it's like don't forget we already saw this picture we already know that that boat's gonna fall over so one of the words we might see when we actually start to read it is fall over tip over Mm -hmm. something like that swim would this also be a technique used for kids that are really good at the graphophonemic sorry if i'm saying that wrong (laughs) um part of that that element but Mm -hmm. not so much the comprehension piece like that's something that doesn't absolutely for sure i also see it working really well when we went back i know we started we talked a little bit about reading levels and things like that but i've seen this work really well with an array of reading capacities and you know kids that are labeled as high in the class and kids that are labeled as looking for uh intervention strategies because giving wondering and guiding questions and looking at the pictures it's all a way for everyone to be able to participate at their own levels Mm -hmm. um and i also feel just thinking about development and whole language and all that good stuff when you have a guiding question or a picture walk you're able to elicit predictions and wondering and it it helps with attention i -hmm. think as well and like knowing what's expected while i read this story because, you, you know, if you have something to right. kind of look at and focus on and think about, you're not getting as maybe as distracted by visuals or getting lost in the details of the pictures or getting lost mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. the auditory from the teacher talking, mm-hmm. you know, all that good stuff. So, yeah, you know, th- this is personal opinion. This is my own kind of opinion. But unfortunately, I think way too often in schools today, <laughs> we are seeing... Um, children being pushed towards only 
towards prioritizing the decoding part of reading. Mm -hmm. Um, So, for example, we see it in testing, um, Mm -hmm. where one of the major ways that um, teachers and school administrators are testing kids across the country in public schools is through a test called the Dibbles. Mm -hmm. And the Dibbles um, is really a nightmare. In my opinion, <laughs> I, I honestly, I hate this test so much. I do think some schools are starting to steer away from that. But similarly, assessments are still primarily looking at right. decoding and yeah. fluency. And and so what Amanda's getting at here is this um, this idea that one thing that the Dibbles really prioritizes and scores and grades for, for our young kids who are learning to read is the idea of decoding. And so one task, for example, that the Dibbles has you do is decode nonsense words. So um, Words that don't exist. Words that don't <laughs> exist in English. And so kids are kind of tasked at how fast can you get through this list of nonsense words. Um, and then they use that information to score the test, to grade the child, and then that puts you at a certain reading level. Um, mm. Or in most schools, it, give, it makes you an A-level reader, a mm. B-level reader, a C-level reader, all the way through Z. For me, that's a real problem. I think that's a real challenge with the way that we're, um, the way that many schools are educating kids today. And, and for me, what it does is that it, when, when I think about it from a theoretical standpoint, for what, what it's doing to a child is telling the child that what's most important is the, in the process is only half of what they need to be able to read a book. Mm-hmm. So the most important part of the process is the decoding part. In a test like that, we are telling kids to prioritize the decoding part of the process. And what we know from a language-informed position is that we need lots of information to be able to read. We need lots of bits of information to be able to read. And we need to be promoting the idea for children that they need to pay attention to all of those bits of information if they're going to read a book Mm -hmm. or um, read a passage and answer the comprehension questions on their science test. Mm -hmm. Um, We need to be able to kind of promote that idea for young kids. Um, And so I think techniques like Amanda's talking about, the picture walk and, and other ways that we can kind of promote some of these holistic kinds of techniques that remind kids that reading is a big process that takes a lot of information to mm-hmm. to to make it successful. You need to pay attention to a lot of things. That's why I love those strategies so much. Mm-hmm. That's why I really like that technique is because it reminds kids that like for five minutes, we're going to do something with this book that doesn't have anything to do with the print. It doesn't have anything to do with decoding. Um, And it's still going to be an important part of the process. We Mm -hmm. still need this other information to be able to read it. Um, For me, that's why I love those techniques the best. So you mentioned a a few techniques. I would think that parents probably ask you a lot, what kinds of books do you recommend? Yeah, yeah. I would assume that that changes based on each child's individual reading Mm -hmm. level. Sure. but do you have any general absolutely yeah ideas that you want to share for sure, <laughs> for sure. Um, we I, I i try not to offer parents too many like hands-on techniques mm-hmm. the way that i like to steer the techniques question is um, book recommendation giving families the right kinds of literature to read at home is kind of the best way that I can ensure that good reading is going on at home to practice too. Yeah. And for me too, it's, you know, kids are going to develop what books are their favorites, right? And you're going to go back to the same book and 
when I was a kid, it was the book, Are You My Mother? And I memorized that book, you know, so I wasn't reading the right words particularly, but I knew the storyline. And then as I got older, it's like, wait a minute, that can't be hen, because it starts with a C, that must be chicken, not hen, whatever that might be. And that's a shift between using the pictures to help figure out the word to then using the phonetics of, oh, wait, no, I see a CH sound. It can't be hen. Book recommendations. So <laughs> I think a lot of words on a page could be overwhelming for certain kiddos. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't want, you know, to get lost in like, oh, well, it's not, there's not enough words on that page or we're not challenging him enough. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it goes back, I think, to creating healthy habits and positive demeanors towards reading so if we want to reread a familiar book over and over I think that's okay because then we're shifting from the memorization knowing what a storyline is to then pointing out the the words and working on fluency and expressiveness and all that good stuff um and then so I would say foundationally we're looking at the books with a lot of repetition and rhythm and familiarity going back to like the nursery rhymes or your boat books that have a lot of repetition in the words. Um, mm-hmm. And then it shifts, you know, and then we might be looking at longer books that still have only a couple of words on the page. Or we might introduce a chapter book later on and read that over time with a kid in elementary mm-hmm. school and going back and paraphrasing what happened in the first chapter and making predictions of then what will happen, what we know, what we don't know. And that'll develop across time and across interest, right? Mm-hmm. So like a fourth grader who's really interested in motorcycles, I might want to go and pick up a couple of like motorcycle parts books and this is how an engine works and all of those kinds of things, which mm-hmm. is not necessarily a book I would read with just any kid. But if that's something that he's really interested in, then that might be where I head. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> My number one recommendation for a family who's like... I need to teach my kid how to read. I'm going to go buy some books. Help me figure out which books to buy. My number one recommendation would be good, buy them at the library, old-fashioned trade books written by authors. Yeah. Like a number one kind of red flag for me is if a book was written by a publishing company, you know, (laughs) (laughs) or if it was written by um, a group that's dedicated to teaching kids how to read Mm -hmm. so those are books that often don't have a storyline right like a is for apple b is for ball those are great to look at sure but if we're looking at literacy from a whole language approach and making sure that all those components that tyler was talking about are involved then i would steer away from sort of those isolated Mm -hmm. recommendations no good no good i i would say (laughs) i mean maybe fun might be look at the pictures right but yeah, not a bad buy. If grandma buys your all my first Spanish verbs book, then that that's okay, you know? That's okay. Use that book for playtime and yeah, in the yeah. backseat of the car and chill time. Yeah. But when we think about reading stories to kind of prime young kids to learn how to read down the line, I would prefer to see nice stories written by authors who are interested in writing fun stories for kids. Mm-hmm. Got it. Um so early on, I have a couple of, you know, favorite authors who do that kind of work. Um, I think super early on, pay attention to things that are routined. So mommies and babies have their favorite kind of bedtime stories, whether that's Goodnight Moon or How Much I Love You or The Runaway Bunny. Those are all things that are really common for young babies. Um, those are going to be important because I think, again, 
what's uh, a foundational element here is kind of the rhythm and the routine mm-hmm. of, of how it works and how babies and young, very young kids learn through repetition and multiple mm-hmm. exposures over time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think those kinds of things are going to be really important. So whatever book it is, as long as it's simple and you do it in a routine, so every night before bedtime is a great way to incorporate new books into the repertoire. But beyond that, books that are written with routine in mind so books that have a rhythm and books that have a structure and a repetition so for example pete the cat is a book like that that's written by eric litwin and he writes this book where pete the cat steps into a large pile of something and then every single time he does that his shoes change a different color so first he steps into a pile of strawberries and then his shoes turn red then he steps into a pile of blueberries and his shoes turn blue and then he steps into a pile of mud and his shoes turn brown Um, and those kinds of books are really great because like Amanda was saying earlier, the same kinds of words appear on different pages, but in the same positions every time. And they're really, really helpful for helping our kids build kind of, um, an expectation of what they're going to see on the next page, Mm -hmm. which is the foundation of reading. Again, it's a guessing game. Mm -hmm. And so if we can build in an expectancy for what they're going to have to guess, Mm -hmm. then they're going to be much better at guessing, at making those guesses. So there's a couple of other authors that write books like that. I love stuff by Audrey and Don Wood. They they wrote some books that people might be familiar with. They wrote The Napping House, which is a kind of a classic kindergarten book. I think is a lot of fun. Um, They also wrote a book called King Bidgoods in the Bathtub. That's a lot of fun. These are all recommendations of Ryan Nelson and Holly D'Amico, who I worked with in graduate school. So thanks to you guys. Um, So King Bidgoods in the Bathtub and The Napping House are both wonderful. They also wrote... wrote Oh, sorry. Piggies. Who, who wrote Row, Row, Row Your Boat that we keep referring to? I don't to. know. I, I forgot his name. I don't know who did Isla that one. Something. Oh, yeah, but they have all of those nursery bunch, rhymes yeah. are in books also. You know, you can find a book version of The Ants Go Marching. You can find a book version of Itsy Bitsy Spider. Itsy Bitsy Spider is wonderful. All of the, you know, Rafi makes all of those kids' songs that are mm-hmm. super catchy. He has books for almost, he has a baby beluga book. He has mm-hmm. Down by the Bay is in a book. Um, And those are great because kids are already coming into that reading process having known that song. And then it's just about matching their what they already know with what's written on the page. Yeah. Something I like to do in the classroom as well is taking it a step further and, you know, dramatizing the world around us based on a book. Mm. So now we're acting out row, row, row your boat. And how Mm -hmm. can we create a boat? And how we can get from point A to point B using a boat, and then that's Vivian Paley's work. Totally, Vivian really, Paley. It's yeah. really fun. Yeah. Um. Yeah, she's a great resource and someone that I studied in college a lot of, or in grad school. Um, and drama, yeah, story dramatization, discussion, and then that leads into I feel nicely couples with early writing skills as well mm. because now we're looking to know what goes into a story, beginning, middle, and end. Story dictations, you know, kids telling you a story, you're writing down their words, they're maybe drawing a picture to it, then shifts into them thinking of a story and writing them themselves and then telling you a story. So Mm -hmm. they couple really nicely together and all these precursors that we've been talking about then would help with later writing, which is a huge component in school now too. Mm -hmm. Kids are, you know, going to write off on their own for 15, 20 minutes Mm -hmm. on a Mm -hmm. topic and things like that too. So, Mm -hmm. Mm and it's fun. (laughs) It's very, a Vygotskyan approach to like being, constructive in your learning and making learning meaningful and being active components in your learning um 
Which is a push that I think we're starting to see in some mm-hmm, preschool yeah. classrooms again. It, yeah. it was an old push that happened a long time ago, and then I think personally we got a little sidetracked in, mm-hmm. in the world of education. And and I, I don't know. I see a lot of local Chicago schools yeah. kind of bringing some of that those mm-hmm. ideas back into the classroom. Yeah, and a lot more like, you know, project-based learning popping up and mm-hmm. things like that too. So Yeah, I totally agree. And I, I love using that kind of work, like Amanda was saying, as kind of a, a foundation for later really important skills, like that those narrative-based thinking skills, writing skills. We do typically see reading coming in before writing um, because kids need a lot of exposure to narratives, mm-hmm. be, you know, stories that happen with a beginning, a middle, and an end. Uh, they need lots of exposure to that over time before they start to write their own narratives or think about their Mm -hmm. own narratives. Obviously, you know, we have narratives for what happens when mommy and daddy get home from work, right? You know, they take their shoes off, they play with me for a minute, and then we have dinner, and then we get ready for bedtime, right? That's, That's a narrative right there. It has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And so those early routines of things that happen over and over again, we call the, those the, the canonical routines. They, they happen really often. And then we start to build kind of narratives for the non-canonical kind of things that happen in our lives, like going to the dentist. That's something that doesn't happen every day, but it's something that I still have a narrative around. I'm going to show up. Some scary things are going to happen, but then it's not that bad, and I get a toothbrush and a sticker, and then I get to go home, and mommy and daddy talk about it for the next two days, you know? Um, So we start to kind of build narratives around that, and then that helps you to understand what might happen in a really non-canonical situation like going to the orthodontist. Right. That's mm-hmm. a different narrative, a different situation, and things are going to go down differently. But based on what you already know happens at the dentist, you'll be able to make some guesses. Dentist. Again, building in that expectancy for what you think is going to happen next. These are more high-level skills. This is not something that yeah. we see a kindergartner being able to do or a preschooler. But um, because we're exposing kids to stories and narratives very early on, it's things that we're priming them for later. Wow. Yeah, it's really cool. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. It's all ties together. <laughs> well, and I think the same way that Tyler's talking about, you know, bringing, your, bringing in routines. Routines are a part of life kind of thing. I always like to make sure that we're approaching literacy in different modes as well. So we might incorporate some listening to reading in the classroom, read-alouds in the classroom, mm-hmm. you read to me, I read to you kind of stuff. And I love that. This is all kind of part of what I learned it to be called as balanced reading and writing balanced literacy. Mm-hmm. So it could be some shared reading, which means we're, all, we're using a oversized book and we're reading it together. Um, it could be part of guided reading. So a kiddo's working one-on-one on reading, but we're helping them along. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be, you know, some independent reading where whatever strategies and comprehension strategies that kid has, he's he's using on his own. So if he's using the pictures to tell a story, if he's at the level where he's pretend reading, um, or if he's starting to use use more of incorporating all of the, the modes of learning, all the codes of learning, then, um, yeah, that's, that's where he's at. So, mm-hmm. yeah, just different, different ways, I guess, too. Mm-hmm. Different modes. Love that. I hate... Um... I hate when we get stuck. 
I hate when we get stuck and kind of thinking that reading and writing only happens in one way. Yeah. So writing always happens when I sit down at my desk and I have to write my journal for the day. That's the only thing that writing is. Um, I think it's really important that we remind kids that we need to engage the writing process when we're going to make a grocery list and when we're going to, yeah, Yeah. uh, when we're going to write a letter to my aunt because she's, I'm going to see her in two weeks. Um, that we write stories that we think are fun and interesting. Mm-hmm. How-to. Um, yeah, how-to guide. How to do something. So there's lots of different ways that we use reading and ways that we use writing, and I think it's important for young kids to be exposed to all of those different purposes and ways of doing reading and writing. So I, I love that yeah. that push. Wow. So many different aspects mm-hmm. that go into this topic and I think that's again one of the reasons why this ends up being such a hot topic right there's so many layers and so many things going on when we talk about reading um and everybody has to do it right every mom every dad every grandma every teacher every principal everybody is concerned about whether or not kids are learning how to read well the more you expand on its foundation of beyond reading it's a foundation of like Life. comprehension of life yeah. <laughs> like everything yeah so, yeah so everyone has different opinions right. so we're gonna find differences in opinion and we're gonna find variation and all of those things um so it, it makes sense that it's a hot topic right and this might be like part two of pod this podcast as i'm gonna make this statement but you know looking at individual profiles and different sensory needs and different communication needs and all these other components that we're looking at with our kiddos it kids might present themselves differently you know in different contexts so mm-hmm. when i've gone into schools making some modifications like you know he really reads better when he is sitting at a table versus laying down on the floor just mm-hmm. because his core doesn't allow him to then be able to attend or hey there's a lot of visual distractions around i wonder if we could switch his reading spot or his place in the circle you know mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. um i think there's a whole other layer of elements that we're looking at as well and mm-hmm. like i said it kids might present themselves differently in different right. contexts and they're not and scoring really well on those informs yeah how we're going to intervene right mm-hmm. it really informs the work so what do we know about this child is going to let us know what we need to change about how we help him learn how to read so for example i personally really struggle with using finger tracking so that's something that a lot of parents and teachers will use with young kids who are reading where they kind of run their finger along the sentence as they're being read in the book and when a kid is you know stopped by a word or struggling with a word they'll keep their finger right there on that word and keep pointing at it um, and helping the kid to the idea is that we're helping the kid kind of visually attend to this is the word that we're reading right now. But I really struggle with that technique because, again, in my, in my opinion, I think it, it puts tunnel vision on the whole reading process. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's only take, telling the child to incorporate one bit of information instead of also pointing at the picture and reminding the child to use what they already know about this topic and this story and what's going on. Um, I think it kind of just it deletes other parts of the process when we use mm-hmm. finger tracking. But at the same time, I might be working with a child who has a lot of challenges with visual attention in other contexts and using his eyes to focus on on bits of information that are difficult to, to integrate into his day. And so, 
using finger tracking for that child might be more appropriate than it would in another child. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I find myself using kind of modified ways of of doing finger tracking, Mm -hmm. maybe just kind of following my finger down the margin of the of the story we're just kind of pointing at line by line which line we're reading instead of focusing letter by letter word by word Mm -hmm. only look at this or that Um, kiddo that gets lost in a lot of words on a page maybe using a piece of paper to cover up you know half of the page at a time or line by line at a time mm -hmm. um just to help visually attend to where where we're looking at but at the same time knowing that it's really important that he gets to see everything Mm -hmm. on the page Mm -hmm. so you know sometimes we have to kind of make modifications that might put us at odds with our own way of thinking but Mm -hmm. and it um, might shift quickly based on what they what you're working on you know and how the kid is progressing and so if I have a kid that's saying there's too many words on a page that might be a modification that I make to help with his confidence you know not necessarily maybe the best Mm. what i think is best practice for literacy but then looking at the whole child like okay he's telling me there's too many words on this page but and it's going to make him feel better if there's less words on this page yeah and then scaling that back as he becomes more confident and works on those strategies himself so Mm -hmm. we kind of expanded on quite a bit of things uh, throughout (laughs) the podcast which is wonderful but if we had to do some some take home Mm -hmm. i want you to walk away with these messages Mm -hmm. what would be some key takeaways that you'd want people to walk away with Mm -hmm. for me i would like just like to echo the point that it's super important to create healthy habits towards reading the idea that reading shouldn't be a punishment right we don't want to put stress into reading we want to read with our kids because it's fun and it feels good and we're helping to create foundational thing foundational capacities and prepare for later learning but we're doing it because this is this feels good and Mm -hmm. you know we don't want to get lost in the stress of oh i have to teach my kid how to read or he's going to get behind but let's make this fun let's sit on let's sit in a comfy spot let's act it out let's talk about it let's look at the pictures um and and knowing from professionals and research that when parents walk into the reading process with that kind of attitude you're instinctually going to be creating better opportunities of learning Mm -hmm. in the reading process just by having that kind of attitude. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes when we stress about things, we end up compartmentalizing things and focusing on one bit of the process, and that's going to end up making reading harder, Mm -hmm. I think. Love that. Yeah. That's a really important message, I think. Um, I, I think it's really great and easy, kind of an easy lesson for parents to walk home Um, kind of thinking about what we talked about in terms of book selection. I think, I feel like parents could, you know, go to their library tomorrow or their local bookstore and and choose some fun new books to add to the repertoire. Um, Again, I think routine is super important, especially for those early young readers, Um, preschool, pre-preschool, kindergarten, first grade. Um, Having kind of book time story time with mommy or daddy or both at the end of the day or every day before dinner or whatever it is um and then and not being afraid to kind of reuse favorite selections like Mm -hmm. if your kid really loves pete the cat then by god read pete the cat you know it's he loves it just keep giving it to him oh no pete (laughs) stepped in a pile up anything one of our one of our mentors in the DIR field always tells us, you're going to get bored before the kid gets <laughs> bored. So I think that goes along with reading too. Like, right. I don't, oh, this book again? Like, are you sure you want to read? <laughs> <laughs> you know, row, row, row your boat again? But feeling like we're we're capped out of it before the, the child right. is. Mm-hmm. It's, if the child is 
asking for it again, then he's there's something about it that's still really interesting. Mm-hmm. The take-home message for me, too, is the different functions of reading and writing, like Tyler was saying, yeah. especially as kids are getting older into school. You know, you're writing letters, you're writing lists, you're reading for ideas, you're reading for information, or you're reading for stories, narratives, different different things like that, too. I think maybe this is kind of my, my last point, and I want to be sure we we get to it because I don't think we spend a t- spent a ton of time on it before. But we really want to make sure that we kind of highlight the idea that when we're reading with kids, it really does need to be a shared process. Mm-hmm. It needs to be a way that we can model what we know for the child who doesn't know how to read. So the whole point of this whole process is that we're good at it. We're good at reading. And so if we can model for the child something that we know how to do um, over and over again, then they will pick it up. That's how language develops. Mm -hmm. And we've already talked about how language and literacy are kind of parallel processes. So we model for kids talking and communicating and on all of those things from birth through when they begin talking. And then all of a sudden they start to talk themselves. Um, The same thing works for literacy, but we need to be building those processes in. We need to be building that time in uh, so that we're giving kids the models to do it. And when we're doing that, it's really important that the responsibility is shared. Mm -hmm. I never, ever give a child a book and say go. I always start first. I always turn the first page and say this one's on me like I'll take it because I'm I know how to do it I'm the, the competent reader um, and then I'll build in small opportunities for the child to read when I think that they're going to be most successful when I think they're really going to know what to say oh no Pete stepped in a large pile of let the kids say blueberries mm-hmm. he's the one who probably knows that mm-hmm. it's blueberries because he can see the blueberries on the page he's read it a million and one times <laughs> he knows it's blueberries so I'll let him be super successful yeah. on that one there's two things I want to add to that, but they're both quick. The one is I love when you're interacting and instructing with a child to do shared reading, right? This is how I was explaining. And then there is a time where we would work on independent reading. Sometimes it's called SSR. Um, sometimes it's called independent reading. And <clears throat> when we're doing that, something that I really like to do is then have time to reflect afterwards. So, yes, mm. reading independently is something is a skill that we'll all learn um, or expect to learn in school. But then if we're using a unit of study or if we're using a concept, then talking about that afterwards, right? Like what was a problem that was solved in the story that you read or mm-hmm. what, what, you know, what was an adventure the character did or something like that? Or where does your story take place? And then if it's in a group, you're talking about similarities and differences. And mm-hmm. that might be for a more high level group with a group of kindergartners. I might say, who liked their book? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Who gives their book a thumbs down? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who's never going to read that book who again? Who gives thumbs up side down? Yeah. Um, and then the, as you were talking, I don't know if we're giving book recommendations, but something that I have introduced in the older early ed, so like first grade, second grade, is I read, you read, we read. It's um, There's often fairy tales that are fractured or what happened after the mm-hmm. story ends. And I like it because I think it starts bringing in, this is starting a whole new topic, um, different voices. So, you know, mm-hmm. they're talking to each other. Um, so each person's taking on like a different character and then there's moments where we're reading together mm. and we're working at the same pace and the same fluidity. Um, so again, it's just giving that point of view and voice and cool. just a different way, you know? Yeah. Well, I think that wraps up today's conversation about literacy. Join us next time. We're listening in on Leap.
Leap Forward is a pediatric developmental clinic and therapeutic preschool and transitional kindergarten operating in Chicago with experts in occupational therapy, speech and language pathology, social work, developmental therapy, and early intervention. To speak with the professionals you heard today or talk to someone at Leap about your child, you can find us at leapforward.com. That's L-E-E-P forward.com.